How's it going, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of your favorite swim bait podcast, Scales and Tails, uh, episode 113. And so we had uh, we had Mr. Jeffrey, uh, Crazy Bass Fisherman, on a couple episodes ago, and I talked about how I grew up kind of watching him and and kind of seeing when I was first getting into swim baits, his was his was stuff that, that popped up and I could watch and kind of gain information from. We're joined by another another one of these uh, gentlemen who was kind of I would say kind of early on to the to the swim bait YouTube scene, and he was a he was a gentleman that I watched quite frequently. Uh, I probably watched his two hour his hour video um, about catching catching a seven fifteen ounce bass uh, multiple times because it's it's just chock full information. He does very good well of breaking down what he's doing and why he's doing it on the water and. You know, it's just it's kind of unmatched as far as uh, information goes, and, and yet he catches good fish. So we are joined by Mr. Carl Kazud. No, Kazub. Kazub, that's good. Kazub, Kazub, dude. I had it wrote down in front of me and everything. But you are the gentleman behind uh, Keep It Real Fishing. You're located, uh, so you're in like the New England area, right? I wasn't too sure exactly, but I knew you were up up that way. Yeah, I'm in the Northeast. I'm uh, New Jersey. Okay. New Jersey. Okay. Okay. So we've had, I want to say one or two guys from New Jersey and it's always, I, I've talked about it many times before. It's, it's that new England air area. Like uh, your last video, it was, you said it was like 53 degrees, the water temp and you were fishing a wake bait. And <laughs> I, I've said it before that is like a bucket list is to catch an ice out early spring, late middle winter uh, wake bait fish. And it just seems like, you know, new England is the place to do it. But yeah, so I mean, I'm sure people have have heard of your YouTube or if not have, have seen some of your stuff because you've been doing it for quite a while now. But before we get into that, kind of who are you and, and how did how did you get introduced to the to the magnificent uh it, or I mean some some might say money pit, but how, how did you get into fishing? Where did it all start for you? Uh fishing in general for me, uh, you know, as a little kid, my uh dad took me out you know just with a little zebco 33 spin cast um it just clicked for me it's not like he took me out that long i just had that love where i didn't want to leave even if i wasn't catching anything you know it was always that thrill of the possibility of the next cast yeah and then then there was like a real lull there and then it really hit when i was uh was it like 12 13 and i was in uh weeblos and i was in the boy scouts and that allowed me to get to water that I couldn't get otherwise. Because before that was just locally. I had one pond. I'd have my two-piece rod in my backpack. I'd ride over there and, you know, do the best I could. But uh, being in Boy Scouts allowed me to have access to these other lakes. I started catching better fish just because they were better fisheries. And and then I just took it from there, man. I was, like, geeking out. I would watch. Back in the day, it was a TNN, the Nashville Network. And I was... Man, you're like the only person I knew. I was a geek to all my friends. I would record back in the day on VCR, like three hours every weekend of fishing shows, like OG Bill Dance, OG Roland Martin, Hank Parker. I still have those tapes and I would watch them till they damn near would fall apart. <laughs> so uh, that kind of those guys, you know, gave me, uh, you know, ideas, of course. And then you go out, you try to employ them. And so that's when I was younger. And then um, I always fished, but then it really kind of, I think it was probably like 2008 to 2010. I just started to really get into it via a boat. Prior to that, I was just on the shore and I started seeing some or going to some lakes here. And I was like, if I could just, 
access this water shy of just what I have on the shore. Mm -hmm. I, I'm sure I could do much better, you know, kind of common logic. And so I uh, got my canoe. I'm kind of known for my canoe system. Yeah. And uh, and that's it. And then once I had access, I started catching a lot more fish, a lot better fish. And then one day I caught a really good fish. And then all I wanted to do after that was just replicate that adrenaline rush. I didn't want any more numbers. I just wanted to get a bigger fish because, yeah, it's like a high. Numbers are fun, but it doesn't have the sheer you know, adrenaline rush and excitement of the giant fish. And once I caught that fish, it was over. I was just laser focused and I still am. Yeah. I was about to say it, it's very apparent that you, you know, you go out on the water and you are there for, for the fish. You're not, you know, you're not uh, sightseeing or whatever it may be. You, you go out there and, and you've got one thing on your mind. And it's funny that you said uh, you're kind of, kind of known for the, for the uh, canoe because I mean, that's how, that's how every video starts. You know, you got, you got the canoe over your shoulder, drop it in the water, get your camera and everything in there. And then, you know, that's kind it. of the intro to the videos. And I just think that's so iconic of, of something that you you've started and you just kind of continue to do. And it's funny that it's kind of become like your trademark more or less. Yeah. A lot of people sleep on the canoe. Um, you know, when I want to get a craft and I see those in the, in the video, uh, I have what's called a uh, sports pal canoe by a company called Myers throughout in like the uh, lake, the Great Lakes area. I forget exactly where. And uh, yeah, it's like I wanted to get on the water, but it's like I got a little commuter car and um, I didn't want to get a trailer. I couldn't. I didn't want to get a truck. So I was like, how can I get the most while having kind of a, a minimalist ability to bring it there? And I want something light. I wanted the ability to access bodies of water that weren't maybe readily by where I could park. And I have a lot of gear. I'm a gear junkie. So I wanted a craft that would hold a lot. So, and being a canoe, most people associate canoes with being very unstable and you're prone to going in. And I was like, man, I want something stable, lightweight, that holds a lot. And I could just throw it on my little commuter car. And hence that particular canoe that I have, it checked all those boxes. And uh, yeah, I love that thing. And I've, I've recommended it to so many people because it just is kind of a jack of all trades. Yeah. I mean, there is, I mean, there's room for all your, you know, 36, 3,700 deep boxes and, and whatever your camera gear. I mean, you have, what do you have two cameras going on the tripod in the canoe? And then plus, I mean, plus your action cam on your hat, but I mean, you can't, you don't really get that with a paddleboard, a canoe. I mean, a bass boat is obviously the only other thing that I can think off the top of my head that you'd be able to run a setup like you have. If you're into the videography portion of it, which I am, you just need a little bit more space, you know, whether it's a John boat or whatever, but it's difficult on the kayak. You know, everybody wants to record those moments. And, uh, you know, for most people, you know, you got it from the hack cam, that's fine. Or they have one facing them. It's beautiful. You know, you, you capture those, those uh, moments in time, but I'm really kind of crazy with my videography and I'm always about like the what if scenario. So it's like, I have my main camera and then I have like um, uh, kind of an action camera simply as like a backup like mm -hmm. if my main camera battery dies right in the middle of i'm bringing in like an eight or nine pound new jersey giant because that's the luck right that's yeah. always what happens people always say like my battery died right as this happened so it's like i just have this <laughs> uh, i'm very anal about things being redundant and uh yeah so i just have all that stuff going at the same time yeah and it puts you in another realm i mean you're able to like I said, you're able to tell information, but with, with, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of a camera snob myself. I, I love photography and videography and stuff, 
And it's like, if you can show your viewpoint and, you know, if it's, if it's cinematically entertaining and then also you can learn something, I mean, there's, there's not much more other video components that can, that can top that. I mean, if, if people want to learn something and kind of, you know, be, be stuck in their phone and watching a, watching a new England sunrise happen and stuff like that. I mean, there's, there's no other videos that you can watch while you're learning about swim baits and stuff. I mean, it's, it's kind of the, the jack of all trades and it covers everything very nicely in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. But yeah. So talking about the YouTube, obviously you, uh, it's, it's pretty, you know, swim bait, uh, orientated. You, you talk about jigs and stuff too, as well, but you, uh, I, I was scrolling back and I was looking back at some of your older videos and it was like nine, 10 years ago was your first swim bait video. So I guess the question is, you know, that's 2012, 2013, around there, 2014. So obviously swim baits had been around for, you know, 10, 12 years before that, prior to that, and if not a little bit longer over in California. So how does a guy in, in new England kind of stumble onto a swim bait that, that early uh, compared to what the craze is like now. So how did, how did you find about, how, how did you find out about swim baits or was it like you'd seen somebody fishing them or, you know, tackle shop had big baits in it or kind of where did it all start for you on, on that aspect? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I didn't see anything in the store, you know, it was, what it was, it was just poking around the internet and I want to say probably like tackle warehouse. And then somehow I probably watched a Butch Brown video cause they were out a long time ago and then somehow I found my way to Swimbait Nation, mm-hmm. which was, yeah, I got caught the last tail, like the last year of that before that became or transitioned to whatever, then Swimbait Underground took its place, essentially. And I was like, what's this? There's a whole community of people and there's this whole thing and gear specialized towards it. And it was just kind of like that skipping stone. I think I probably saw uh, some of Matt's stuff, Matt Lord's stuff on Tackle Warehouse um he used to supply it more regularly and then he didn't have it for a while now he does again but i was like man it looks incredible these lures look so real they're obviously larger so you just google mat lures and swim bait nation and i said you know this is so i just dove right in and then you see the pictures you see yeah. the the evidence and the proof is in the pudding and i'm like wow look at this but it was very very heavy uh west coast influence and um every once in a while there was definitely some you know mid-atlantic south there was there was another there was a sprinkling of people from the rest of the country but i would say like 75 percent of it was coming from the west coast so that's how i found out about it and then the big question became you know i know i don't have bass as big as they get in california you know these guys can catch you know more likely to catch a double digit can i do that here or i know i can do it but am i going to be spinning my wheels or you know am i actually going to find the biggest fish in the lake is that a thing where i live so you know adrian there's only one way to find out <laughs> yeah your favorite swim bait podcast is now proudly sponsored by leviathan rods leviathan rods is a texas-based fishing rod company that's handcrafted and uses high-end made in the usa rod blanks every sale from leviathan helps support foster youth and their families with Leviathan Rods, you're not only going to feel a difference, but you're going to help make a difference too. Friends of the show will also get 20% off their rod purchases by using code SCALES20 at checkout. So whether you're fishing in depths 250 or a square bill, make sure you're using the best rod choice out there, Leviathan Rods. Three words, Lake Pro Tackle. Lake Pro Tackle has all the fishing equipment you need to have success on the water. Friends of the podcast will receive 15% off their order with code SCALES at checkout. 
On their website, you can find exclusive and rare baits as well as rods and reels to have that dream combo. Check out their social media pages for constant updates with new arrivals. Lastly, orders over $50 get free fast shipping. Remember to use code SCALES, all cap locks, to save 15% off on your orders at lakeprotackle.com. A vast majority of double-digit bass caught in Mexico are caught out of two lakes, Lake Bacharach and Lake El Salto. Josh Daniels Pro Bass Adventures Mexico is the only outfitter in Mexico with lodges on both of these trophy lakes. For an experience like no other, call Pro Bass Adventures, 480-491-9300 or probassadventures.com. We are Mexico Fishing. Yeah, and and I mean, you you like you said you got in it kind of towards that tail end of Swimbait Nation, but I mean I've heard stories of like two thousand seven, eight, and I mean these guys you know out in Arizona and obviously California and stuff meeting up through Swimbait uh, Swimbait Nation and hanging out and fishing and making lifelong friends and and kind of having these friendships that that move over to underground and, and Facebook and stuff like that. And I, I mean, I have always been been envious of this because I hear these guys talk about it and I hear about what the scene was like back then. And I was just like, man, like it, it, it's really nothing like it is today. And it's just so cool to hear guys reminisce and, and talk about not necessarily the glory days, but before it was, you know, a major, uh, major thing like that you see a lot of guys talk about. It was kind of that maybe not necessarily the unspoken secret, but it was something that was very low key that, you know, you could go into a tackle shop and ask for a swim bait and they'd point to a paddle tail, like a storm or, or whatever. And it wouldn't be a Huddleston or a triple trout or a bull shad or, or anything like that. And I just, I look back on that and it's even, it's not even that I come from a place that has heavily fish fit or, you know, super heavy fishing pressure that I wish I, I was the first person to ever do it around here. It's just more in the sense of the community back then was so tight knit. You know, there's probably 3000 guys on, on nation and I'm sure a lot of them knew each other. And I'm sure there was a lot of friendships built off that. And it's like, man, if I could go back and experience that, even if it was for a year or two, I think that'd just be the coolest thing ever. It, it, it was, yeah, like I said, I was only on that the last year, but you know, it's funny because Swimbait Underground replaced it and what Swimbait Underground has as their their title their moniker i think swimbait nation was in truth it was underground relatively speaking not yeah. a lot of people knew swimbait underground you know to their credit they helped to popularize it and it's that's like the double-edged sword is it got commercial it got big a lot of people are doing it which is great you know like i make videos to share you know ideas and products with people because i'm excited by it but it's also one of those things where it's, you know we're all fishing for like the one percent and it just stands to reason that if you go back 20 years, you know, all things being equal, you stood a better chance when less, you know, when you were the only person ever throwing like a Huddleston. And now it's, you know, not nearly as uncommon. So it's, you know, double-edged sword. Yeah. Yeah. And so you kind of stumbled on to Nation and, and Matt Lures and stuff through Tackle Warehouse. Do you remember what the first bait was that you pulled the trigger on? So 2012, there wasn't, I mean, I don't think there was like the S waiver and, and stuff out, like maybe the S waiver was around, but it's not like you didn't have a handful of production baits like you do now. Like that was kind of when the depths were, were on the scene, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, Gancraft was probably just coming out and maybe the S waivers and stuff, but it was, it was kind of limited as far as like, you know, the, the big ABS game. So what was, what was the first bait that you finally decided to pull the trigger on and was it based on stuff that you saw off nation like guys catching a lot of fish on this bait and you're like okay maybe maybe i might as well buy one and try it out 
I'm a sucker for looks. I'm a sucker for the aesthetic, even though I know that doesn't always sell well with the fish, but I just, you know, I am blown away by certain things. First lore, probably the one I have my very first video was, uh, I think it was 2012. So Matt Lore's U2 gill, little baby blue gill. And I saw that and I was like, that is real. Like that is literally as real as you can make a blue gill mm-hmm. at least at the time. And it still holds up. I mean, he still has got the same product. And then within that same year, or maybe just the other year, because he, he dates all of his stuff. So I bought a uh, MS Slammer, 7-inch MS Slammer and Perch. Um, I bought that new from, at the time, Tackle Warehouse. That was in 2013. At the same time, I got a HUD-68 and a Shellcracker G2. So these are all like transitional lures, like nothing was huge. But when you're going from just conventional baits, you know, just like a standard size jig, a standard size anything else, they all seemed really big to me. And I was, I was convinced that I was going to catch, you know, five and six pounders every single time I was on the water when I was holding those things in my hand. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Man, it's, it's just crazy to, to hear, hear that stuff because those are, those baits you listed are baits that, that often get overlooked. And I will say they get overlooked by, by people new into the scene. And you're talking about that was the first bait you bought and there's people that have been fishing for fishing swim baits for four or five years and have never, never even thought about buying a hard gill or buying a slammer or something. It's, it's so wild how, how far we've come since then. Yeah, it's, it's trendy. It's, uh, and I, I kind of love that to be honest with you. Shh, don't, don't tell the <laughs> but, uh, like I love that back in the day, Matt Lore's stuff sold out in like an hour. The same way that UFO or whoever's the hot one now, I'm not on top of it like I used to be, but whoever's the hot one now, Piz is always hot. Um, if the same was true of Matt back in the day. And it was like, oh, my God, if you can procure one and and there's a connection there, it's, it's, you know, maybe there shouldn't be. But I think a lot of guys, it's like the, between exclusivity and effectiveness. Um, you know, you've got this thing. And, and I know a lot of people put them on their shelf and they just trade them or whatever. But those things were true for some of those baits back in the day. And just as more and more manufacturers have, you know, come into the fray uh, again, it's, it's good. I mean, there's so much choice, but what I like is that some of these very, very well established proven fish catching lures that have been doing it for 10, 15, over 20 years in the case of the slammer. um, You know, a lot of people still are about it, but not like it used to be. And those lures are no less effective. So I kind of like that. Yeah, no, I, I definitely know where you're coming from. I mean, I, I got to imagine after Southern Trout Eaters, the Slammer was dang near impossible to find. And and you had you had these other baits that that they covered, the Nizuno Rat, the, the Triple Trout and stuff. And I'm sure when that stuff came out, those baits were hard to find at the time because that's what was there. And now it's kind of more or less, honestly, you, you got a smorgasbord of baits that that, you know, you can buy secondhand any day of the week, any, any time you want. And it's kind of, it's like you said, even if, even if people aren't a collector, it's, it's the thought of it being hard to get hard to come by with, with the mentality of, oh my gosh, I need it because it's hard to get whether I'm going to fish it, whether, whether somebody's going to fish it or not. It's that exclusiveness that they, that they want to have like the collectible side of it. And, and like you said, you don't really get that with the, the quote, uh, quote unquote, older proven, whatever, whatever you want to say, the, the baits that are, that are very readily available now. And it, it's just super weird to see. Cause like you said, it's not like they don't catch any less fish than they did 20 years ago. It's just that the market has shifted in, in guys 
you know, and I, I'm sure you can attest to this guys maybe aren't necessarily fishing for that one fish. They're just doing it because their friends said it was really cool. And that's, that's what they want to do now. They have, they have money to spend type thing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, yeah, I have my, my opinions on that. Sometimes I have to kind of bite my tongue on the forums because I feel like an old curmudgeon. Like to me, <laughs> you're, throw, you're throwing a big bait for one purpose. You're not, you're not holding up like a two pound fish. Like the term it's a swim bait fish. Like you're my, in my view, right. My opinion mm -hmm. is the reason that, you know, the AC plug or any of this other stuff came out in like the late eighties, early nineties is that guys in California, they want to catch a giant fish. That was the only reason for these inventions. It wasn't to do numbers or wasn't to hold it up next to an average size fish. It was to catch the biggest fish of their life, the biggest fish in the lake. And so while not everything I have is, is that giant, and I do throw a lot of moderate size stuff, to me, that I, I don't that, that's the mentality to me of swim bait fishing is it's never a numbers game. It's always just this kind of maniacal pursuit of like an absolute giant fish. So yeah, I see, like, you know, there is a definitely a push, though. There's there's kind of two two camps in swim bait fishing. Those people, and there's a lot of them, who are just dead set on giants. You know, they're mm -hmm. out there. They put in the time, the work, and they, you know, if they get one giant fish a year, like, that's a success, like a yep. real giant. And then there's the other camp where it's, I like using these baits. They look good. There's a camaraderie element. They're hard to find. Um, and whatever bites it is good. <laughs> And it's all swim bait fishing, but to me, I fall squarely in the pursuit of giants camp as yeah. uh, Mike Gilbert has uh, trademarked on his shirts. <laughs> yeah. It, it's kind of, um, and then, and then even to go off of like the hybrid set of that, where, where it's guys are trying to present baits in a way that fish have never seen before, where, where like up here, uh, and kind of my case scenario was, you know, these fish, you know, all these fish are seeing drop shots. They're all seeing jerk baits and, you know, they're seeing football jigs. Cause that's, you know, they're, that's the main thing that all these uh, weekend warriors, I guess I'll just kind of use that as a broad term. That's what these guys are fishing is just a handful of baits, handful of techniques, you know, weightless rig Senko, stuff like that. And when I got into it, the, the appeal of it was, I have never seen in, in, you know, at the time it, it my 16 years of life, I've never seen a bait like this being fished before around here or just in general ever. So, you know, I bet you the fish are going to love it. And then that's kind of what got me into it. And I realized, oh, wow, you know, these, these five inch baits are super cool, but look at this nine inch glide bait that, that is going to, you know, more times are not going to catch me a big fish. And then, you know, a couple, couple months later, I'm buying a Hinkle trout and I'm catching fish on a Hinkle trout and two fifties and stuff. And it's like, wow. So I, I had gotten into it for one reason, but now the the side of it and the aspect of, okay, these these fish haven't seen it. They really like what they see, but also these big fish are coming out to to eat it a little bit bigger meal rather than a, a three, four inch flatworm on a drop shot rig. It's like, okay, like there's an appeal to this. And it's also, you know, it's also beneficial to to stick it, stick it out and grind with them. Yeah. Where where are you at, Adrian? Where do you live? Uh so I live in in uh, in Michigan, I used to live up in Northern Michigan by, by Traverse city. Uh, uh, yeah, it's probably the biggest town. If, if you're familiar with Michigan at all, it's, it's like, if you hold out your hand, if you hold out your uh, left hand, I live right like by the tip, tip of your pinky. So it was, it was pretty, pretty far North. Um, and 
you know, not, not big fish, but if, if you catch a five and a half pounder, I mean, you, you'd probably win big bass every tournament. And then it kind of, uh, it's, it's changed to guys are starting to get more into the power fishing up there, not necessarily swim baits, but you know, a rigs and, and stuff like that, a lot of crank baits and stuff, but I mean, I can still go up there and I'll still catch a whole bunch of fish on glide baits. You know, maybe there might not be the biggest, but you can go out and you could hammer three pounders on glide baits like nobody's business where guys are only catching, you know, two, three, four fish on on conventional stuff that, that like I said, is just being fished 24-7 in these lakes, in the Great Lakes and in all these other inland lakes up here. Yeah, I was just looking at a map here, just seeing Michigan. Yeah, it's, you know, everything I was just saying about pursuing a giant, but like you said, it's very relative to where you are, obviously. Yeah, yep. You know, you have northern strain bass, but then the more north you go, I want to say typically, because it seems like in the state of Maine, they don't, they just didn't agree to the fact that they're not going to grow big. I've seen too many seven and eight pounders come out of Maine, but from what I know, yeah, where you are is a is a is a tough sell with the really big baits and the really big fish. So, you know, if you're at it, that's uh, I commend you. Yeah, I mean, my PB came last spring. <clears throat> excuse me, uh, five ten on a tiny clash, dead walking it in the middle of April, like right after ice out. So, I mean, it. Uh, I, I I've lost bigger fish and obviously that's, that's the fish tail that everybody says. So I'm going to say it. And if you believe me or not, whatever, but I believe you. Yeah. Yeah. I've, hey. I've lost, I've lost bigger fish, you know, whether well, all around, it was always my fault, but you know, whether it was hooks being bent out or uh, you know, just not being at the right place at the right time, or just it being the perfect, perfect moment for that fish to eat right at the boat, shoot under and it pop off, you know, whatever it may be. And it always, you know, for, for whatever reason, I've never lost good fish on smaller baits and it's, it's a leverage thing. I'm sure it's, it's always, I've always lost fish on the, the Hinkle trout, the two fifty, the taxi trout. And then I've also lost good fish on the mother. So it's kind of like, you know, you, you, you prepare for this stuff, you get ready for everything. You know, you have all the scenarios, the check boxes in your heads are all checked, but until you're in that moment in, in the battle, you know, begins and, and, you know, everything goes out the window. It's kind of where it's like, okay, well, you need to put your money where your mouth is and you need to, you need to get it done. And unfortunately I've not been able to get it done with, with a quote unquote respectable fish, which, which would be, I would think over six pounds here is a very respectable fish, but I've had some chances. And I think next year um, I've, I've got some leads on some trout stock lakes that I'm going to fish early in the spring. And hopefully, hopefully we tangle with a big one next year. Oh, that's good, man. That's important. Yeah. That's very important getting onto the, you know, it's, this is something I talk about with some of my friends. It's like you say, trout stocked water. It's, you know, there's a balance, you know, you could throw a big bait all day, but it's like, to me, one of the things that I've kind of changed in my approach is I used to like jump around from these various ponds and try different places. And when I was getting really into it, yeah, you gotta, you know, you gotta go to bodies of water and, and explore them out. But then I kind of narrowed it down to maybe like, really two two to three places that I really put any work and one of them I put in a ton of work and it's where that PB came from yep. and it's like all my other PBs and other species come from there and so it's just like a reminder I guess to anybody starting out is I think one of the most important things you could do is to however you can do it because it ain't easy is to establish that the body of water you're fishing is known to produce giants because otherwise you could be spinning your wheels. There's always going to be that one off fish in a pond, you know, that's going to be big, but 
if you have the ability to, whether it's by word of mouth or and it ain't easy because people protect these spots, but if you're going to be out there putting in a, an obscene amount of time, it's kind of crazy to do it if you really don't know the class of fish that's in there. And I know that's easier said than done, but that's one of, when I focused my efforts on a, pl a place that has a great environment and it wasn't just me, other people talk about it and it produces big fish regularly. Then I started catching bigger fish more regularly. <laughs> yeah. And, and we even have um, a lake local. So I I've moved since, uh, since the place I had told you, I I've recently moved down South further uh, into a, a decently sized city and excuse me, there's a lake here that uh, many YouTubers have, have came up and fished. And uh, apparently there's been a handful of sevens and two or three eights caught out of there in the last handful of years. I've wow. never, you know, never seen any of these pictures or anything. It's kind of the, the thing that loosely gets talked about. But I mean, it, it's not uncommon for a Wednesday night tournament out there to take 20, 22 pounds to win. And that's actually where I had caught my PB. And so it's kind of, unfortunately not trout stocked or anything. It's a very small lake. You know, if there's more than 10 bass boats on it, it's, it's pretty dang cramped, but I think be getting out there early enough in the, in the pre, pre, pre spawn, like when they are just even thinking about starting to eat a little bit more, when the weather starts to cool or get a little bit warmer, I think that's probably when I myself have the biggest chance at, at catching good fish because, you know, there's not boat traffic and it's, it's. Uh, I mean, that's just kind of when the fish start to start to put on the feed sack and they start to get bigger before the pre-spawn and the actual spawn. But even up at home, there's, um, there's that lake that I was talking about that, uh, gets stocked with, with very many trout. And, um, I had a gentleman that I was talking to tell me that they used to catch a lot of big fish out of there on, on like really small, you know, like storm paddle tails and stuff. And he was telling me stories about how they never had scales. And he was showing me pictures of what these fish looked like. And I'm like, Oh, wow. And it's like, okay, well, these guys are doing it, you know, they were doing it six years ago. So if that class of fish is still there, I, you know, one would assume and hopefully hope and pray that, that somebody like, like our, like ourselves, myself would, would be able to go up there and replicate that with, with swim baits and, you know, hopefully catch fish of that caliber. So I don't know, we'll see it. It's kind of, it's kind of the thing that, that keeps me going in the winter time where picking apart lake maps and kind of looking at, forecasts and in tournament uh tournament results and stuff it's like okay well chasing the trout trout stockings it's just kind of piecing it all together and i've fallen short the last couple of years but it's like well one of these years the stars are going to align and, and something crazy is going to happen <laughs> yeah yeah you're doing your homework in the off season that's important and uh yeah it's it's you know that 510 is a really good fish man and you know like i said it's just yeah it's <laughs> It's all relative, you know, it's just all relative to where you are. And yep. uh, But what the lake that you're talking about sounds like the ingredients are there. And if they're not that familiar with the big baits, that's how I always view it. Mm -hmm. That's how I viewed it a number. I felt so confident like 10 years ago. I was like, man, I am the only one out here. I had like confidence for days. Like yeah. even though obviously I wasn't getting bit that often, I just, I was not getting worn out. I was like, that's fine. That's fine. You know, no bites today, but I was like, I am still in the best position possible on these lakes with these lures. Cause I look around and I see guys, yeah, throwing the Senko, throwing everything else, uh, you know, just beating the banks. They're not fishing any deep water, you know, when that's applicable. And um, yeah, the, the confidence, people always talk about confidence, but it's like confidence has got to be based on something and, you know, good bodies of water, 
and you know just having the right lures but like i said it's changed there's we talked about earlier it's changed a little bit now because you know it's just so many more people are involved in it but that's where the homework comes in like you said the off-season homework yeah you know, you yeah find and, places and uh you know try to crack those codes right and and i even you know being on the being on the west side of the state i've never got to experience saint Clair, and i went there uh went there a couple weeks after i would have caught the pb and we had almost a 30 pound bag of bass with a seven pound kicker largemouth out of lake saint Clair, which is kind of unheard of and and my buddy caught that on a, on a little you know like a two and a half inch dark sleeper and i kid you not i did not put the citizen down the rest of the day i was dragging that thing on bottom 20 foot of water all day when i knew that when i knew never been there obviously it's it's a world-renowned smallmouth fishery but you never hear guys catching green fish and so when we make the trip over there this next year i'm gonna be sinking a lot of glide baits down to the bottom just dragging them along a lot of soft baits and you know, I, I think, or even like the, the real prey, uh, the little goby baits and stuff like that. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's kind of, you know, seven pound fish of, of up here of any class is just badass. but to be able to catch it on, you know, a quote unquote swim bait would just be the freaking world. So I don't know, I'm going to go out there, I think a couple times this spring and, and hopefully have luck with that too. But you touched on, on confidence and, and that's kind of something that I preach about on here as well as many guests. If, and, and you hit it nail on the head there. If you go out, you know, you may have never caught a single swim bait fish in your life, but if you look at the bait and you're like, Oh my gosh, this thing looks so real. And, and you kind of have that mindset of it's just a matter of time until I, I come onto a fish that's going to eat this. That is the one thing that, that you can fake it until you make it like the fish have no idea, but if you just have it in the back of your head, like this thing looks too good not to get eaten and, 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 and then once it does get eight and you legitimately have non-artificial confidence, it's like the world, the world is, is your oyster. Like anything is possible. And that's happened so many times. And I've had so many other guys talk about it. What was, what was the bait that you had that, that you kind of, the first bait that you would seen fish follow, and then you finally caught one. And then it's just kind of been, the book's been wrote and you're sitting here talking to me now. So what, what was the bait that, that got it all started as far as like, fish catching machine or even just gave you the confidence that that you were going to catch fish on them yeah no, good question thanks um oh definite definitive answer so i was saying before like i got a matt lures the little youtube i got those things and they were big to me but i still looked at them and i said these are not the real big baits i mean i see butch throwing the 250 and the eight inch hud and i knew that's where i wanted to go but i wanted to segue there and to just have some bites on these smaller ones and say oh, okay that's cool that work the first time, it was the first year, 2015, um, I got them in 14. I, I, at the time, I got a bunch of weedless Huddlestons. They were more readily available. I didn't see them very often, so I stocked up. And because the places I were fishing, there was a lot of like laydowns and just timber and stuff. And there's some steep drop-offs and not too many people fished this place. And I was like, they, they'd never they'd never seen this. And uh, what was it? My second trip of 2015, first time. That was the first day throwing the eight inch Huddleston. And it was about 10 casts in and I caught a six, six. Wow. And that was, it, it, it's just, I was like, Oh, I should have been, I probably say, cause I have it in one of my old videos. Like I should have been doing this the whole time. Like, this is so easy. Like I I'm 10 cast into this bait 
and I just caught like, you know, a semi kind of lifetime fish. Um, and that's that gave me just a, a fire that wouldn't go out. Uh, it was almost false confidence because the, the situation was real and I caught it. And I was like, this is amazing. I almost wasn't even that excited because I was just like, oh, OK, yeah, that's to be expected. It's Nathan Tuttleston. And uh, yeah, uh, let's let's go get a seven. I thought it was yeah. like a seven the next week or two. Um, but that catch propelled me throughout the entirety of that year, well into the next year, just to keep at it with now in that respect, the truly large baits, the eight inch baits and the nine inch baits. And at the time I wasn't throwing a 250, but to, to step it up away from the 68 specials and into the big baits, because, you know, and I also remember when I pulled that eight inch hut out of the mouth of that fish i i remember this was had a particularly bucket mouth you know sometimes the aperture of their mouth is smaller or larger i could have fit three more huddlestons in his mouth and i was like okay like those hut six they're, they're tiny like this eight inch huddleston is literally like a good size snack to this fish and all those things are going through my head you know how fast i got it how, how seemingly easy it came and then seeing a six six which is what i was looking for six and above and seeing how small, relatively, at least in that fish's mouth, again, it had a really big mouth. I was like, okay, like, this is what I'm doing. Like, I'm not going to stop. This is what I'm doing. <laughs> and um, and that was the catch, man. That was the catch in the situation. It's it's funny that, you, that it happened that quick. I mean, everybody who's bought a Huddleston 68 and hasn't caught a fish in, in three years is punching the air right now after hearing that story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the 68s is just like, I look at them, it's a numbers bait in yep. general, but it has a lot of giants attributed to it. It's a, it's, it is a good crossover size. You are truly, in my opinion, you're truly putting yourself in the fray, throwing things, it doesn't have to be a 68, but things in that solid six inch category that carry some, some profile and some mass to them. I don't think it's small. You're going to catch the occasional giant, but when you get bit on the 68 or things of that nature, when I set the hook, I'm not assuming that it's a five or a six pound fish. I'm like, because I've gotten way too many like fish in the mid twos and the low threes. So I don't know what it is. It could kind of be anything. And I'm like, and in my mind, that's like, this is the same as almost traditional lures. Like when I get a, a bite on a jig or a spinnerbait or a 10 inch worm, like, I don't know what it is. It could be a giant. It could be a two pounder. And so that's kind of when I, at least that year, I've since kind of play around more with size, but in that year, um i was like no i'm not doing this i was like i want to know that when i get a tick on that line it's going to be a good fish and good fish strike the eight inch model <laughs> yeah yeah it uh that's that's really you know that's that's the way to go about it is to and even you know even i'm not i'm like a, i'm like i enjoy you know going out there catching four fish on a six seven inch glide bait and then saying okay you know i caught my fish for the day I'm going to grind it out with the 250 with the mother taxi, tra taxi trout, whatever it may be. It's just kind of getting oils, getting oil into the bearings and kind of getting, getting going. It's kind of like when you, when you stop and get your morning cup of coffee, it's like catching one or two fish, knock the rust off, make sure the drag set up good, everything like that kind of just, just get you loose for the day. And that's kind of where I try to start kind of get this baseline established, get in the mindset of everything. Like, okay, you know, this is going to be a good day, whatever it may be. And it's, it's funny that it's, it's just so crazy that it happened that fast on the eight inch. I remember getting an eight inch HUD for the first time 
And I was like, oh my gosh, there is so much plastic right here. Like that is a big thing. Yeah. And I, and I had had like Hinkle, Hinkle, or not Hinkle, uh, like phony shads. And I, I think I even had a 250 and maybe my Hinkle trout at the time. And I was just like, wow, this is a very large soft bait. And, and that was what I was going to say is you caught that fish that fast on a soft bait. And if, if you, if people watch your videos, especially the recent one that you had had earlier in May, you are very, you know, guys are kind of live or die by the hard bait or live or die by the soft bait. And it seems like you're right in the middle, you know, you're not, not biased one or the other. You'll go out and you'll drag either one if you have to. And it's very interesting to see. Cause, cause like I said, it, it's kind of, some guys are one, some guys are the other. There's very few guys that, that post fish throughout the year on both very, or very good fish on, on softies and on, on hard baits. So it's kind of reassuring to see when guys are, you know, they don't really care. They're going to go out and if, if they want a soft bait drag on the bottom or a glide bait two inches under, under the surface, that's what they're going to go do. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I never, I'm aware of what you're saying, but to me, I never understood why one people would pick one camp over the other, mm -hmm. but I understand, um, like I say, I don't understand what I do. Um, the soft bait, I, I, I find that you people, it's often a harder sell and I get it. Cause it's a lot of times they're more subtle. I mean, you could have boot tails that have a lot of action, but the feedback that you get from a jointed hard bait, um, you know, so many of our, so many, almost all like top water baits are hard. So you could see it, you know, you get that feedback. It looks fishy. It's moving around. It's splashing. Even if it's subsurface, you could feel that glide changing direction. You can, you can make it come alive with how you, you know, work the reel and the rod versus a soft bait. It's like, all right, I'm either rolling, you know, reeling slow or reeling fast and the bait's doing its thing. But, um, yeah, I would, I mean, just my personal thing. And I don't think there's a serious, I mean, Butch Brown is always, you know, the example, but uh, they both need to be in your arsenal. Otherwise you're, you're leaving fish on the table because there's, there's no metric by which a hard bait is always the best one. And there's no time of that a soft bait is always the best one. They meet their tools and mm -hmm. yeah, you got to use each one respectively when the situation calls for it. Yeah, I think guys are in the mindset and, you know, this is very caveman esque, but, you know, hard bait, more hooks. That means I'm going to, it means I'm going to catch a fish if it eats it no matter what. Whereas, <laughs> you know, swim bait, if it's, you know, willing, if it's a soft bait that is a classic jig hook or even just like a 12 op beast hook that doesn't have a stinger rig or anything on it, you know, people, go to assume like, oh my gosh, the fish has to, the fish has to swallow that thing all the way down. It's a gullet. I have to reel down. And that's the other thing. It's, it's a very brain numbing thing to, to have to catch a fish on a hard bait. Whereas a soft bait, you know, nine times out of 10 and kind of what it gets sold as is okay. Thump thump. Okay. I felt it thump on the, on the second thump. I'm going to reel down, reel all the slack out of my line reel. So I'm dang near all the way down to the fish and I'm going to yam this hook as hard as I can. And then I'm going to start grinding it in to make sure I have it. It's kind of like the, like, like I said, the caveman esque thing of hard bait is kind of the easy thing to get on top of, especially, you know, two or three years ago on, on this topic, like the crankbaits or the crankbaits, the crank downs were like the, the hot stuff. Everybody was making crank downs. Mm -hmm. Everybody was buying a whole, like everybody had four or five crank downs from different builders and people were catching a bunch of fish on them. And it's almost cause it seemed like it wasn't that you had to bomb a glide bait out there and randomly put real inputs and try to guess what the fish want. It was cast it out there, reel it, let it sit for a second, pop it once or twice, go back to reeling it, straight reeling it, burning it. You could fish it 
you know, it was a Swiss army knife and it just seemed like it flat out caught fish. And it seemed like that was very appealing to guys that you could go out cast and you'd catch fish. Whereas a glide bait, you have to implement it and, and make it look alive. And even like a soft bait, you kind of have to do not necessarily the same thing, but it just, for whatever reason, guys have the mindset of a six inch glide bait or six inch soft bait is just hard to, to grasp how to fish guys will know how to fish a jig and they wouldn't even think about picking up a jig cook soft bait and, and jumping it around like a jig. It's just, I don't know, man, it, it's really weird. And it's also like, kind of, it seems like there's the, the sheep mentality of people like sea guys catching fish on shad glides and kind of hear how they're doing it. They're like, okay, I'm going to go do that. And maybe they don't want to go try their own thing. They don't want to spend a hundred dollars on a, on an eight inch HUD or a, or a bait Smith mag or, or, you know, whatever it may be and go out and find their own bite. They kind of have a rest. It's kind of like when you look for a recipe and you go home and make it rather than kind of doing yeah. your own thing. That's kind of what it seems like. Adrian, you're full of great analogies. I love the way you think <laughs> Swiss army knife and recipes and you really paint the picture, man. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I hear you. You know what it is though? I think, um, listen, fishing, this is just as true as fishing forever. Um, everybody, we're all looking for the shortcut, right? Because mm -hmm. if, you, if you were like alone on an island and you couldn't get any information and you would just have to spend your life figuring out everything from square one. I mean, yeah. so like everything else in life, it's like we're looking to other people to see what works, right? Look those shortcuts. And then we'll kind of like fine tune it, you know, where we are. But I get it, right? You see some people having success. You see some people killing it and you're like, it works for them. Like, let me try it by me. And then that's the litmus test. You know, you try it and you're like, see if you have similar success because God knows our lakes, I, I like to say they all have like their own fingerprint or pulse. Yeah. You have two lakes that are of similar depth, similar weeds, similar, like they could be so similar. And for whatever reason, I mean, we never really know why, for whatever reason, the fish there just behave differently and they eat differently and it's maddening, but that's what is always going to bring us back to looking at like the next guy. Cause we're like, you know, what are you doing? Like, how does it work? And, you know, it's uh, you know, it's just the story of, of fishing, but it's particularly tricky with big baits. Um, another thing that, I'm always talking about this where they have a select core group of people that I uh, converse with that are into the big baits. And um, there's so little feedback in, in big swim bait fishing, meaning that like if you go out for the day and you're chucking a bait, you know, intelligently, you're not just chucking it all around, but you're hitting points, you're hitting, you know, high percentage spots and you don't get a bite all day. Well, were you in the wrong places? Or was it just that you're fishing for 1% and you might've put your lure proximal to a couple big fish and they just weren't in the mood to eat right then, right? And so, you know, with normal fishing, like traditional fishing, if you've gone five, six hours, you haven't got a bite on a Senko, on a jig, on a spinnerbait, on a plopper, you're like, all right, I got to change something. I got to change yeah. my lure or where I'm going in the lake. Like something is not right here. But with swimbait fishing, what do you, what do you poke at? You know, because that could be a very real thing. You can go a couple trips and particularly if you're throwing the really big baits, you might not get anything. And it's like you might have been doing everything right. But, you know, shy of being underneath there with like an underwater submarine, you didn't know that there was a seven pounder that came right up to your bait and then turned away. And maybe that's the best you were going to get that day, but you didn't see it. And so that's always been one of my um, it's just a point of conversation. It's not like a code you can really crack, I guess. The only code for that is this time on the water, but it's it's tough with swim bait fishing. And I see why people buy stuff and, and they sell it and burn out because you don't have a lot of feedback. 
And then I think that's also why a lot of us, we go to, uh, you know, you, you go back to that moderate size lore. You're like, you know what, L let me go to the Shellcracker G2. Let me go to the, the HUD 68 or, you know, whatever it is. Um, because at least you're getting something, some kind of feedback. But if you're really looking for the giants, they're wired differently. You know, there's a reason why we don't stumble. You can catch, you know, 10 fives for every seven you catch. Mm -hmm. Um are they there? Are they doing the same thing? You know, most people think no, they live different lifestyles. So it's complicated, man, but I don't even know why I got off on that thing. But oh, the, the, the feedback thing, these, I'm just going off of like points of conversation in my head that me and my friends, like, we'll just debate yeah. these things for like hours. Yeah. Have you, um, I, I assume you have, have you read uh, In Pursuit of Giant Bass by Bill Murphy? I'm looking right at it. It's on my bookshelf. Perfect. So, so yeah, you kind of know how he talks about how a three pound or, you know, four pound fish thinks well, this is, you know, what, what he had gathered through writing the book and his experiences and stuff. So obviously, you know, nothing set in stone, but it's probably one of the best resources out there. Um, you know, a four pound fish acts like a complete juvenile compared to a six pound fish. And, uh, in he, he referenced, or somebody references it in Sal belly where they're talking about how a 15 pound fish is, is, you know, quote unquote, dumber than a box of rocks compared to an 18 pound fish. And it's like, you know, once you start hearing that into perspective on guys who have caught these fish, it's kind of like, wow, you know, what, what difference does it make in, in two years, you know, grow a pound a year? What difference does two years of, of life make on, on these fish and kind of how they develop and what they decide, how they decide to set up and stuff like that. So it's always intriguing. And it was reading bill murphy's book and kind of how he talks about how you know big fish will be by each other but they're not schooling like twos and threes doing stuff it's just you know it's just so happens that it's a high traffic area with with bait and stuff that that fish are gonna sit at and eat it's kind of i don't know reading that book got my wheels turning and it almost kind of like brains the next sketch like where i had to forget everything that i you know knew or thought i knew and then once you kind of read that book it's kind of like, okay, that makes sense. Why, you know, this, this spot is, you know, it's that age old thing. Oh, there's always one good one on this rock or on this flat or whatever. And it's like, well, what there's one, why is there not five more, you know? And it's kind of like, okay, well, these fish are all doing their own thing. They're all kind of that, that, you know, they're sitting there because it's an opportunistic spot and it's just kind of like, wow. Yeah. And you just learn so much from that. And even now, I mean, I don't, I don't know your takes on the forward facing sonar stuff, whether it's good or bad or whatever. I'm not going to, not going to talk about it too much, but like just being able to see these videos of guys looking at a random, uh, you know, rock pile out in the middle of 23 foot and they'll cast a crocodile spoon or a glide bait or a soft bait or whatever over it. And they're just sitting there ripping it. And you see these big, huge, you know, it might not be a school of 21 pounders, but, you know, you got two or three big fish and the blob that eats it is an eight pounder that the guy boat flips on the deck. It's like, wow. So how did, I don't know, going back to these guys figured this out without electronics, you know, 30 years ago and wrote a book about it. That's just so mind blowing to me that these guys knew what they were talking about and, and had enough time on the water to make, make these discoveries and stuff. It's just, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's true. Uh, I, you know, I got my little canoe, so I don't, and, and I'm not really up on all the electronics. I, I, of course I've heard of forward facing and 
all the 360 stuff. Yeah. I'm kind of like, I mean, again, I don't have it. So I guess I'm, I'm not employing that. I have a basic, you know, just 2D. It's probably like seven years old now. Down or yeah, what it has like the down scan or whatever. Just yeah, the, the depth stuff. and temperature and the basic stuff. Yeah, just the basic stuff. Um, and with the other things, it's like, God, you know what's going to happen because you know technology is always increasing. And particularly for these guys who are in, you know, the big time guys and they're in the tournaments and they're paying their mortgage with this stuff. And I mean, this is their livelihood. I would do the same thing, right? You don't want to leave any advantage, you know, on the table. But I, and I understand also kind of if you've been fishing for years and you want nothing more than to catch this, this teener fish or whatever it is, this fish of a lifetime you want, right? It, it's, it's there for you. And so it's very attractive to use it. I myself, I mean, even if I could, I, I just like, to me, there is a, um, I don't know, it's like, it's like, like Bill Murphy, it's like getting in touch with the lake. There's, there's a, almost like a religious element to it, you know, being out there and, you know, perceiving the wind and being in touch with the nature and, you know, just feeling what your lore is doing. Yeah. At the end of the day, I am going to feel differently about a fish that I have caught, a giant fish that I have caught, putting in that work and just like becoming one with the lake versus buying some really expensive thing and be like, oh, there he is. Yeah. You're catching the same fish. And again, I, you can't knock it because, I mean, that's just life. Technology and all, everything goes goes forward. And it's a tool. But to me, like, there's something really special about when you're just out there and you've like, yeah, you're, you're communing with the lake, man. It's like you, you are one with the fish and nature and it's very cerebral, you know? Yeah. I I'm in the same boat as you where you can't, you can't really knock anybody for using it. It's readily available. That's like, that's like bashing somebody because, you know, here, here we go with the analogy. It's like saying, oh, you bought the brand new iPhone 16 and I have the iPhone 7. It all does the same stuff. Yeah. And, and you understand that it's a consumer based thing. So people are going to buy it no matter what. And, you know, you just you can't really stop it. Technology is going to continue to move forward. It always seems like technology wins. And, you know, I, I am intrigued with what's going to be the next crazy thing. You know, I, I can't imagine what everybody thought when down or when side scan came out and it was, it was the craziest thing that you could go map a whole lake in 25 swipes and have the whole graph with the, with the lake depth and everything like that and see fish on the, on the side scan. And it's just like nobody, if you would have gone back 10 years ago and said, Hey, you're going to be able to face your trolling motor in the middle of the lake and you're going to be able to see fish a hundred yards away people would look at you and say you're the craziest guy they've ever talked to. So my, like my interest is what's going to be the thing in the next 10 years that we had no idea was even, even an idea right now when we're talking. So that's kind of, it's cool to see the technology push, but in the back of my mind, and this is kind of the thing that's happening with all the Murray cod in Australia. And Gilbert talks about showing a fish, a bait or, showing a fish a bait so many times that they, that they learn to associate that with, with somebody like an angler trying to target them. Mm. It's kind of like how many times or at what point does the technology show these fish so many baits that they just, you know, go nocturnal or they don't eat or, or whatever it may be. And that's like, what's going on with the Murray cod is these guys are starting to catch all these fish that they see. And now it's to a point that if you're blind casting, there's a really good chance that you're just going to, fish a bait right past a fish and it's never going to move. You're never going to know if there's a fish there and you're going to fish the whole rest of the day and never move a single fish because you're not able to see what it's reacting to and what it's not reacting to. So it's kind of, uh, 
you know, double-edged sword on, on what your beliefs are. And I guess I don't, I don't really have a, a horse in the race. I, I've haven't gotten to use it much. So I don't know if, if people want to spend their money on that, then go for it. What, who, who am I to say that they shouldn't, or they can't go buy the newest and greatest stuff to, to go, go trick some, some green fish. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. I, I kind of, kind of agree there. Yeah. Like I said, if, if I, if I was doing this for a living, like the highest level, I'd have it without question. Oh, hundred percent. I'm not going to go out there, uh, you know, be all proud and, uh, you know, uh, just be determining the bottom by, you know, the way my jig feels. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like that kind of au naturel. You know, sometimes I, I do this a lot. Sometimes I really detach from going down the rabbit holes of forums mm-hmm. and all this other stuff. And I bring myself back to just being like a kid and just, just like basic stuff, just the thrill like not even the gear, not worrying about the gear or how hard it is to find or just that kind of being out there in nature, just doing something that man has been doing for thousands of years and besting a fish and almost like like minimalism, right? Like sometimes yeah. I want to get even to that, was it Tenkara or whatever, like that yeah. very simple fishing. Mm-hmm. Um because to, that's that feels so good. There's a beautiful element to that. And so, you know, I go into like a Bass Pro or something. I'm like, wow, look at all this gear. And then sometimes I get out there and I'm like, yo, just let it go, man. Just there's nothing better than the feeling of just bringing yourself back to simplicity. And I don't know, there's there's a reward in that. And um, I'm not sure what this has to do, particularly with big baits, but um, just I'm I'm. I tend to philosophy when I'm out there. Yeah. Actually, well, that's my connection because there's so much damn time in between when I get bites. It's like, I'm just thinking, <laughs> what else do you have to do? I just think about things and mm-hmm. uh, part of it's strategic and in the moment, but the other part of it's kind of philosophical. And I'm like, you know, what am I doing out here? Let me, let me connect with this. And yeah, um, that's just me. That's just no, how I get. No, it. I, I I understand with what you're saying for sure. It makes makes a hundred hundred percent sense to me. <laughs> so you kind of talking about the simplicity thing and kind of getting back onto the your storyline here. So you catch that eight or you catch the uh the six with the um with the eight inch Huddleston. What was your setup? Like your rod and reel, what was it back then? Was it a rod that that you could fish a soft bait and a hard bait on, or did you have kind of two rods? It, it by the sounds of it, it sounds like you probably had one rod that could do everything okay. You know, it wasn't wasn't the top of the line, whatever it may be. What was uh and then we'll talk about the next few baits you got and the next few fish, and we'll kind of move forward with the story. Sure. Uh, yeah, first one. So I was getting into the big baits and um, it was an Akuma. I still have it. I was just using it the other day. I like my old gear. Akuma, uh, the uh, original guide select seven foot six, one to five, medium, heavy. Uh, I think it was like a moderate action. It was it was pretty parabolic in, in much respects. I compare it today. It's very similar to like a, a similarly rated LDC because a lot of people like how parabolic they are. Um yeah. But the HUD was not comfortable on it. Um, I knew there was a better choice, but I had never fished a HUD on anything else. I didn't have a better tool, so I didn't know how kind of woefully inept it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end, but I, I thought about these things. I knew my rod wasn't great for the task, but I knew it could do it. Yep. Uh, and so that's also part of my system was the rod, you can kind of make up for some deficiencies. Maybe if you just have one rod, you're trying to get a jack of all trades. 
Um, that reel, I actually have it right next to me, is the little Daiwa Ryoga. Uh, the yep. JDM model round reels, Daiwa Ryoga 1016. So it's got a little shallow spool, but I was running a braid going to a leader. And uh, that's one of the things that, you know, I knew just what my rod lacks in power is going to be made up for in the lack of stretch in this braid. And that all tied into the fact that I'm fishing the weedless model. If mm -hmm. I was fishing the exposed hook model, I know I didn't have to do that. I could switch to another reel and I could just run straight fluorocarbon. But being around the timber, a big bait, a lot of plastic, you know, their draw pressure. It's hard to move. You got to swing hard. And if I was doing it on that parabolic rod, that's already kind of not in the realm of where I should be throwing an eight inch Huddleston. Um, so I say all that, you know, with regard to the gear, because it's a system. And so, but until I got my next rod, I was like, how am I going to make this work as best I can? So I was like, I got to put braid on this thing because when I, if I get a bite, like I need to be able to set this hook and I know the braid's going to allow me to do it and, you know, get to the hook of the weedless Huddleston. Yeah. And is that the Rayoga you still use today? The, yeah, is it the right. silver one? Yeah, listen, that's it. I'm maintaining it right now. <laughs> I, I thought so. Cause when I watched your video the other day, uh, rewatched it, I should say. I had seen it, and I was like, "That is definitely an older one." Because now they're they're all black, and they've got the silver handle and stuff. I'm like, "Okay, that that's definitely a, a, the last generation." And it's it's funny that you still you know use that stuff because I still have my first swim bait rod, and it was it was quote unquote you know everybody hated the rod, but I've had no problems with it. I'm still able to fish it. You know, I had a ceramic guide fall out, so I just have to check my line every. What was so the frequently. rod that everybody hated? Uh, the Savage Gear browser. Oh, I have I have one of those. What was yours? What rating? Uh the three to eight extra heavy by chance. No, my mine was the two to six. It must have been the heavy. Okay. And I I never had a problem with that rod. I mean, there was there was summers that I'd catch two, three hundred fish on it with the with the Gantrell, the medium sized Gantrell. And uh, you know, for whatever reason, Gander Mountain was having uh, a closing sale and I you know, the coolest reel they had. And I, I asked the guy, I said, Oh, acting like I knew what I was talking about. I'd only been doing it for two years. I'm like, Oh, you know, what reel would you suggest for musky, like big, big musky baits? And he's like, Oh, yeah, this one yeah. right here. And it was, uh, it was the original first generation Daiwa Lexa win 400. So it was the black and blue Lexa with the big power handle. And it was the 400 size. So I had a big old 400 size on the, on the little two to six ounce, uh, browser and I don't even remember what line I used to fish. It was just whatever I had, but I caught so many fish on that thing. And it was kind of like we talked about, it was simple back then. Like I had no idea of, of all these custom production rods and, and the, the reel was nice. I, I can't say anything about the reel, but it was, I was just going out there and I was catching fish. I was catching good fish and I was just having a good time. I, I didn't really get caught up in the, oh, this rod is, you know, only five ounces. It's super light or this rod's got the best backbone for wake baits. You know, I, I didn't really know what I was looking for. I just knew that this rod could throw what I had and I, I, I didn't really lose fish with it. So this is good enough for me. Yeah, absolutely. And so, oh man, so you caught that, you caught the eight inch, uh, six pound, six ounce, you said, right? Oh, you have a six, 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 six. So you caught the six, six, you know, 10 casts in, you're the greatest HUD fisherman ever, this side ever. of the Mississippi ever. <laughs> What did, I mean, that had to do, you kind of said what that did for your confidence, you know, whether it was, you know, put, made, made you a little bit more uh, head of a honcho than you thought you were. So you, you caught this fish. 
did you continue to fish the eight inch for a while or did you kind of look look for other other baits to to fish in scenarios no i fished the uh eight inch hard well i'll tell you what that bike did what that fish and that bite did it was the second week of april it was a late ice out like like the first couple of days april one two and three there was still ice on the water very late that was in 41 degrees i remember specifically Crap. Uh, and that's 41 at the trans well you know i guess the water temperature was level because it was so early um but so it was very, very cold. And, and that too was inspiring. And I was like, wow, look at that for like barely out of the thirties. And I got this on my 10th cast. And then I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I was like, I'm going to commit myself to really big baits all year. And I'm going to turn on the camera and I'm going to take everybody along with me and, you know, pass or fail. I'm just going to upload it and we'll, we're going to see what happens. And if I didn't get that bite, I wouldn't have done it. Because I just, I thought, I was like, oh, this is going to be great stuff. I was like, you know, guys on the, you know, in the Northeast or the Mid-Atlantic, wherever. I was like, you know, I, I can help answer this this question. Like, I'm just one guy and every year is a little bit different. But I was like, man, I was like, I think I'm going to be able to get a lot of good footage. Like, that was easy. That was fast. Like, and I didn't assume that they were going to come that easy. But I was like, I'm probably going to get a lot more big fish, bigger fish than I've ever caught in my life this year. I just started throwing big baits. I'm having these great outcomes. I was like, let me um, turn on the camera. You know what? We're going to make a series out of this. And that's my uh, Fishing in the Northeast series. That's so awesome, man. What was, since since you brought the the camera into it, what was, um, I guess, what were the reactions you got when, when you posted your first video or when you posted it or, or showed people? Was, was it like, I guess at the time, did you have many friends that were swim bait fishing and the people that saw this video, were they taken away? Because, you know, we are talking about early, mid 2010 swim baits weren't really, you know, overly known about anything. So they probably saw this guy trying to fish this eight inch Huddleston and they were probably like, this guy is freaking crazy. He's a nutcase. Is that kind of what the comments and stuff were, or was the title enough to kind of draw in the crowd that, that knew what you were doing and knew what you were after? Yeah, like they, yeah, with the keywords or whatever YouTube's algorithms used to be back then, um, swim bait people found me. And there's just a lot. I mean, I don't upload hardly anything anymore. It's been like eight months. And it's so interesting to me because I, I get a lot of people who still come at me with comments or on Instagram or just people that I've talked to met over the years. And I'm like, how do you even remember me? Like I was doing this like 10 years ago. This is old stuff, but I love it because to me, they're like, this is an old term, but they're like volumes in an encyclopedia. Like I'm yeah. not trying to make videos every other week on how to tie a Palomar or how to fish a jig. Like these are installments. And that was always my thing is like, they are to be, to go back and to visit them not for everybody, but for me, that's why I had the camera on. I was like, I want to revisit these memories. And so that's really what happened. Like so many people to this day, I was at like the Boxborough fishing show in the, what is that? Uh, Massachusetts or wherever that yep. was yeah. in the spring. And people were like, Oh dude, I, I don't like, I don't know how they recognize me or whatever. It's like, I don't turn on the camera anymore. It's like, I, I, I just can't, I'm too busy. But people are like, dude, you got me started in this. And it's always the same story. It's like, I'm from this area you're close enough. You showed me that it works here. End of story. <laughs> Dang, dude. So where, where we, uh, when we had first started to talk for recorded, I was saying that <clears throat> I had watched you and I had gained a lot of information where it wasn't as much as, Oh, he's catching fish. This, you know, this lake is, is an hour away from my house. That means I know there's fish that eat it. 
Mine was more of, okay, he's talking about why he's picking apart this, this section of water, this, this water calm, water temperature, whatever it may be. And that's kind of, in some, some aspects, I'm glad that I didn't get into the filming and, and the cast catches and the posting and stuff like that, because I'd be scared that, you know, how selfish of me it is. I'd be scared that the bite would, would not necessarily get ruined, but it would get pressured a lot more than, than what it, what it would have been naturally. But you did it in such a way that it almost seemed like, I don't know, man, it, it's, it's funny to hear that people were like, oh, I, I got into it because of you. That's got to be such a interesting feeling because you got to think back how, how you got into it and how, you know, people before you got into it was word of mouth or very, you know, randomly stumbling onto stuff on the Internet. And essentially, that's kind of how they got into it. But you were the, the main outlet for them. Yeah, the timing was right. And I mean, and this is not the infancy of YouTube. I have like another YouTube channel that I started like 2005 or whenever like YouTube dropped, not fishing related. But so in my mind, I'm like, man, I was like, people should have been people should have been on this. Like this is <laughs> seem in one respect, it's long ago. But in the other respect, it's like, man, it's been around for a while. But um, yeah, it's like it was just basically I had that question. I was just posting videos to answer the question that I had. Um, will this work for northern strain bass? I mean, of course it works. It's mm -hmm. not that will it work, but it's like, how well will it work? Um, are you going to be spinning your wheels? Like, is is there a point of diminishing returns? Are you going to get better outcomes, even with the biggest fish on like a seven inch glide bait versus chucking a depth 250 all year? You know, maybe out in Cali where they get to, you know, 24, 25 inches, maybe that little bit of a difference you can chuck those bigger baits and get more bites more or bites more reliably. So these are all like my questions, like how big can I go? Um, how often am I going to catch two fish this year? I'm going to catch, you know, 20 fish this year being, you know, big fish. So it was just a question. And I was like, it's like anything else in life, right? Teacher says like, if you have a question, raise your hand because other people got the same question. And I was like, let's post this. And that's just what happened. People, wherever there's Northern strain bass, you know, whether it's from the Pacific Northwest all wherever they were just like, dude, like, cool. Like, cause just, it just helps. And I wasn't the only one, I'm not exclusive in this. There was other people doing it too, but um, for whatever reason, uh, people, you know, found mine in pretty good numbers. And they were just like, dude, that was the vote of confidence I needed to invest and to go out. And, you know, I know it's going to happen. It might not happen the first day of the first week, but you know, through a series, I did a series documenting the spring, summer and fall and and you see the failures there too like in the yeah. summer i didn't catch jack it was like a horrible summer i caught like one high four maybe it was a low five at the end of the summer but you know i threw that out too this is the realities of committing yourself to big baits in the pursuit of giant fish like you know i'm not going to edit that out like you, you're going to go sometimes those long stretches of, of it's going to be tough um but you know the next cast might be the one so that was it, man. It was just just uh, videos to answer the question that I had myself. Yeah. Did it um, um how do I want to word this? Did it ever feel like once you heard people talking about it and commenting about it, like how much you know it helped them or answered their questions or whatever? Did it feel did it ever feel like you were married to going out, maybe not as necessarily even trying to catch fish, but being able to produce more tips for these people or that you got tired or burnt out of doing it? Or was it literally just, I'm going out there to learn my, learn this stuff 
whatever I learned, I'm going to share with you. Or was there times where you went out there, didn't learn anything and you deleted all the footage because there was just no point. You didn't catch any fish and you weren't able to uh, kind of talk about what you were learning while on the water. Yeah. There's a lot of the, uh, the latter. Um, I don't think I have too many tips there. I remember one where I kind of, I, here's the thing. It's like, you know, YouTube, everybody's an expert. That's it. You got a record button. You're an expert. You just say stuff matter of factly. And, you know, people are like, oh, he said it. That's his podcast um, in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's the beautiful thing of, of social media and everything is that people who do know stuff can get out there and have a voice and be found in a way they never could way back in the day. But for every one of those, there's 50 people who don't know anything more than the next guy, but they just say it very confidently. Um, I didn't feel, I still don't feel honestly, like I know very much. I, I am very reluctant to say like, Hey guys do this because that may have worked for me sometimes on some bodies of water unless, and I'm a very data driven analytical person. Like unless I can kind of say with confidence, like statistically, this will hold up because I've seen it hold up not over a month, not over a season, but over years, then I'll say, Hey, listen, try this because this is, you know, proved it's metal with me over the long haul, like, mm -hmm. like metadata. But in most cases, that's why I do so much like lore reviews and, and gear reviews, at least back then is because, you know, I'm, I'm very hesitant to say, do this out of the third thing. Cause I'm just reading books and watching videos like everybody else, man. I'm, I'm a hundred percent a student. Yeah. And, and it's kind of like you said there <clears throat> it, nowadays, there is a lot of people that, that post post on Instagram on Facebook just very oh excuse me very saturated regurgitated stuff and it's kind of like okay well I knew that but I'm gonna like it anyway because it's it's informational but anyway that doesn't that's no longer uh, I don't know relevant but so you were you were producing tips for these people and stuff was was there ever comments that that made you realize like, oh my gosh, like was somebody like, oh my gosh, I just watched your video and I went out and I caught a seven pounder. I broke my PB. Was, was there comments like that, that made you realize like, wow, this is, this is more than just me talking to a camera. This is people, you know, learning new tactics, learning new um, techniques. And they're going out there and kind of talk or kind of putting forth the tips that I had and they're seeing results. Like this is such a crazy feeling. Yes, absolutely. And it was a wonderful feeling because like, yeah, there's nothing better than sharing what you're doing. And then, you know, someone's like, dude, I, it wasn't, again, it wasn't so much tips. It was just people being motivated. It was just yeah. giving them the confidence to do it in the areas where they maybe questioned whether or not it would work. Um, that happens to this day. Uh, and it's just, I'm so happy to hear it. And it, the thing that really gets me is again, like I, this is going back. Like I'm, I'm history. I'm, I'm like a fossil. Like I upload with no regularity, but I don't know why people revisit it. And like, I'm just looking at my Instagram just like two weeks ago, somebody, here's my PB of six, seven. Like I still get it. And it's, you know, that's what it's all about is just sharing information. And if somebody can prosper from that, if somebody can, have a better outcome, make a memory, you know, whether, whether it's by themselves or with their family or whatever it is, like you never forget when you catch a world, if you're into bass fishing, you never forget when you catch a world-class bass. And to think that I had something to do with it. And, and the funny thing is, it's like, here's a weird dynamic. Again, more stuff I talk to my friends about people come at me and they, 
they like they know me mm -hmm. because it's weird they, they do and maybe you have this too oh, your yeah. his voice but it's like they have spent years with me they'll say oh i've watched your videos like two or three or four times and this and that and it's like they have it, they really feel like in their heart like they know me and but to me they're a complete stranger and it's it's an interesting dynamic and they're like dude i did this because of you and and you inspired this and then some like there's personal stories like real personal stuff and i'm like just putting out some fishing videos here man but when you spend that much time and this is true of any buddy on youtube or social media there is like this kind of phantom relationship that develops but it's one-sided and it's very interesting and um that's kind of just kind of going off on a tangent there but it's what i read and it's what i experience people still with some regularity come at me talking about this stuff but it's more than just dropping like hey this happened it's like mm -hmm. the whole story it's like oh you know my parents were getting a divorce and this and that and it's like you know i, I got into the swim bay fishing because you know either your video really motivated me and the blah, you know something like that and i'm just like i'm just gobstrucked i'm like what is going on like this is it's an amazing ability for anybody in social media to make such impacts on people, whether, I mean, we love fishing, but yep. you know, something as to me, like almost mundane as fishing, mm -hmm. but at the same time, powerful. These people, you know, people are moved by it. And um, I, that never ceases to, it feels awkward because I'm like, I'm just another dude like yeah. it's i don't i'm like i don't i'm just nobody and mm -hmm. uh but the things that people will spill out to you in these messages and i'm like well that's great you know that's great like if i could do that for you that's awesome yeah it uh talked about it before it, it's very it's a very weird feeling to produce something that you you like doing you know before monetary value before whatever you know sponsors whatever it may be you know, you produce something and, you know, for some reason there's a hundred guys who, who listened to it or watched your video or commented on it, whatever it may be. And it's, and they're like, Oh, I love the video, love the podcast, whatever it may be. It's like, wow. You know, this is, it's a, it's a weird creature feeling to, to produce something that you enjoy doing. And then, you know, you have a group of people that, that really like it. It's like, okay, this is, this is interesting. And then even going further off of kind of what you had said about being a Boxborough and people coming up to you. I mean, you can, you'll be standing at a fishing expo and somebody will come up and say, Oh, uh, I loved the episode or I loved the video, whatever. And it, it's kind of, it's kind of weird. Like they've, they've listened to, you know, 112 episodes of my voice. They've heard a lot of my fishing stories, a lot of everybody else's fishing stories, but, but me being the, the host, you know, I'm, I'm in literally every single episode. So they kind of, they know my mannerisms, how I talk, like my humor and stuff like that. And, and somebody will come up and say something to me, crack a joke or, you know, talk, ask about, Oh, how's the fishing here, there, whatever it may be. And it, you kind of, you just kind of look at them and you're like, what are you talking about? Like, how did you know, or, or whatever it may be. And it's kind of like, hey, like you said, it's the very one dimensional thing, the guy behind the curtain, like everybody knows who it is, but I don't know who anybody else is or you know, I don't, they know my life story and it's just kind of like, huh, you know, I, I forgot I said that, or it's a very one dimensional thing. They know everything about you. And it's kind of like, okay, like I've seen your name in the comment section or whatever it may be, but I've never talked to you before or never heard anything like from you. So it's just, a, 
it's a very interesting thing that you don't really, you can't really put into perspective until it happens to you or until somebody shows, shows their thankfulness for, for something you produce or make or record or whatever it may be post. Yeah, for sure. And it does just spawn me to a, another idea. And this is like really interesting. Um, there's a lot of uh, people that have hit me up over the years and they're like, dude, I really got into this heavy because of you. And I am into it seemingly less and less just as my avail. I used to have a lot more time back then. Yep. It's like I wasn't married yet. I didn't have a kid. Like I put like I did all day bangers on the water, like launching at 5 a.m., getting off at like 9, 10 p.m. Um, and as a consequence, I caught more fish, you know, time on the water. But where I'm going with it is that a lot of people are like, dude, I got into this because like now they are my teachers. I follow like a lot of like the, the New England guys. Um, I, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to name names, but like kind of talked about the YouTube channel and kind of where, where you got your, your roots from and everything as far as swim bait fishing goes and kind of fishing in general. So since getting into swim baits and kind of uh, opening up your, your techniques and stuff a little bit more, how, how has your fishing changed? Have you gotten into new styles from, from glide baits? So you fish, you know, jerk baits a little bit differently or stuff like that. What has changed since, since you got into the swim bait fishing? Mm, let's see. Well, I'm, 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 you know, it's always open. To, I'm always open to what's coming out. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, it's like, we were talking some of those older baits. I, I think some of the older stuff is proven. So I never abandon older stuff that's been proven. Um, this isn't really a technique thing, but it's just just the reality of the question. Um, ever since I caught like that one big fish I was gunning for, I don't like double down on the biggest baits anymore. That was like I was like an addict and I had to get a fish of that caliber and I was going to do anything to get a fish like that time on the water, like missing family engagements like it wasn't healthy. But since then, since then, it's like a little bit of weight is off my shoulders. And now I I throw a lot of moderate size baits. <laughs> I throw I throw a lot of like the mat lures, you know, traditional size gills, and 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 I feel myself now because that's been like five. I feel myself creeping back into the land of going back into the only big baits. But um, that's what has kind of changed and progressed over my my time is like a laser focus and a hell bent on the biggest bait for the biggest fish. But once I got that fish, I was just like, you know, I'm looking at it. It's on my wall. I got it mounted. And it was like, I, I, I scratched an itch. And so now it's like, I am still like 80, 90% big baits, but it's not always the big stuff anymore. Like it totally is when I think it's the best choice. But before I was ramming it down their throats, you know, 24 um, seven. Now I try to be a little bit more nuanced and throw stuff that, you know, is maybe not the biggest stuff. Yeah. And, and we talked about your gear too. So how has that changed? Have you kind of figured out your niche of what rods you like, whether they're super parabolic or a little bit stiffer for, for certain applications? Yeah. Well, Adrian, the, 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 the gear, you just keep adding gear, man. It's like, it's, it's a quiver of stuff. Um, it's, what do I got now? I think I got like 12, 12 big bait rods, but you know, it's like you add a couple, you know, one this year, two this year, three. So, um, but I like, parabolic if i guess if i had to choose one i'm gonna opt for a more parabolic again because of like system wise i can make up for that parabolic with say braided line going to a leader if i'm fishing like a jig hook lure or like my big weedless lures like eight inch weedless lures 
Um, so I, I think it's like kind of the, if you had to choose one, you go with like something and it brand doesn't matter. But I think a lot of people associate like LDC or Leviathan with very par parabolic rods. But um, that's the, the thing is over the years, you're like, you know what, I'm going to buy another rod this year. And so then I buy some that are less parabolic. And now that setup is dedicated to exposed jig hook lures, say eight inches and above. And then yep. there's another one, which is a lighter rod, which is exposed jig hook six inch baits. You know, it's not quite as heavy as a rod. Um, you totally don't need it. You know, I never like to tell people like, oh, you need all this equipment. You can get by with probably just like two rods. I mean, three would be ideal. Just like, like an XL, a large and another one and something parabolic and a little stiff. But um, over the years, I've just, you know, I've added everything. So, I mean, it's it's highly dialed in now. I have a rod, a reel and a line set up that's, curtailed for each specific application Heck yeah and so i mean having that many rods and and like what we talked about earlier as far as not being quote-unquote scared of a soft bait or a hard bait bite i mean you're fishing you're fishing all sorts of stuff what's uh you know say you're going out on the lake today with with your conditions what what are you going to go out and fish and what rod are you are you picking to fish it with Mm, let's see literally today uh well let's see my last trip um, yeah we'll go, we'll go based on your last trip that that'll be easier for you to recall <laughs> all right i've been fishing this little place uh, i got a friend coming up and i want to feel it out before he gets here try to put him on some fish so i have been hitting uh deep edges of weed lines where the weed line then hits deeper water uh eight to like 15 feet and I've been running um, soft plastics down there, like things like the real prey paddle tail. See if they'll go for that to jump out and then I'll slow it down a little bit. Um, I have like I'm running some mat lures down there, um, you know, just pause them different look. What else? Uh, it's on a lot of stuff. Now, I'm still trying to get some big fish off the bottom. I've had a little bit of success that I got the big real prey seven inch chattel tail and I, I grabbed some fish holding to like slight. Uh, bottom contours and i try to see if i can get them to move on that that big bait kind of going by uh, that they can you know kind of pin it to the bottom mm -hmm. yep um and then when the evening rolls around at least at this particular lake it's uh unlike so many places um uh, going to a wake bait um what have i been using recently experimenting i get new stuff and so i like to experiment it was the uh this one red top worms Guy oh Bob yep, yep over in washington yeah yeah so he has a little model and i recently got his larger model um uh what else the black dog baits the wood shell cracker i like throwing the wood shell cracker uh, i really really like the matt lord's meathead there's one that people sleep on and it's oh, been yeah. one of the most consistent producers and i kind of love that nobody likes them <laughs> uh and that's that's the evening bite and then also not the swim bait but with the size um, going to the Savage Gear, they make essentially a whopper plopper. I think it's a 170 size. It's like around three ounces. I got that in bone. It's one of my most consistent top waters. And then I even have one that's like musky size. It's like two, it's like a 220. Holy shit. Um, yeah, yeah. And I'm still looking for a bite. I don't know why I haven't got a bite on that, actually. Like, I'm starting to get like that feeling of doubt. And I'm like, wait, 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 no, no, don't doubt this. Like a, a six pounder will crush this. But yeah. It hasn't happened yet, but Savage Gear makes one that's really big, and it's more of like a European thing for pike. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, this is exactly what what I need here for like the next big fish. So, 
Um, yeah, those are like kind of what I'm doing during the day. Again, it depends heavily on the weather. Things are dynamic. Yeah. You know, if the wind cuts out and we just got, you know, just slack water, then then I'm throwing uh, like, say, for Magnum baits, I'm throwing like the big 10 inch, very thick. He has like essentially a Senko. It's massive. Um, mm -hmm. And then big jigs like mop jigs with big six inch trailers. You know, if I see something, you know, around some timber laydowns. Um, it's all fair game, man. It's all fair game. You know, I'm really into the swim baits, but one of my things that I, I, you know, I always tell people is like, I'm a big bait guy. I don't, I don't live and die just on swim baits. I mean, I know this is your thing here, but they, they <laughs> represent a very large portion of what I do, but I'm not going to just do that when I think that there's another bait that's, you know, the reason that it gets bit is, is cause it's big. So I throw massive everything. Um, and again, it just depends on the day and the conditions, what goes down there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, we, we get caught up in the, in the swim bait side of big bait things, but a bit of big profile, you know, anything is, is going to entice a bass, a good sized bass to eat, whether, you know, jig is, is the, um, kind of the, the trophy standard that you hear big bass guys talk about for the conventional side of things. And actually there's a Facebook page right now that's doing, uh, team jig versus team swim bait for November and October. So that'll be yeah, pretty that's cool. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they kind of drafted the teams the other night, I think for the comment section. And, uh, I, I can't speak for the jig guys because I don't really know any of those guys, but some of the, some of those swim bait guys they have on there are Tennessee, Texas, Georgia, Alabama hammers. So we'll, I'll, we'll have to see how, how that unravels in the, in the next couple months. That'll be interesting to watch. That's a cool contest. I like that concept. Yeah, it uh, some I guess they had done it before and then somebody posted about it yesterday in a matter of like two hours. They put up a post uh, comment team swim bait or team jig and, and that's what team you're going to fish for. So they're I think they're ironing out the details and it'll start uh, at the beginning of October. And then the jig guys want uh, November to fish it as well because they say November's good for where they live for the jig. So by December, we'll know, uh, you know, what what we know on, on jigs and, and big swim baits and see if you know, one trumps the other has a shocker. Maybe they're both tied or, or whatever it may be. So that'll be super interesting to watch. What are they basing that on the quantity of fish or uh, a weight? Uh, I would guess weight. Uh, when I saw the post last night, they were still putting the teams together. And I think they were probably going to post the, the kind of the rules and, and stipulations today or this weekend. Um, but I, they, I'm assuming it's going to be weight. Like everybody, uh, everybody has two fish and you can call out your biggest fish. So 10 oh, on okay. each team, you know, the 20 biggest fish from each side is what I think they would probably end up doing. That seems the most, uh, logistical for, for a Facebook comment section tournament, but I don't know. We'll have to see. <laughs> yeah. That's a really cool concept, man. I'd be very curious. I mean, I could just imagine the bragging rights if the jig guys win. Like, yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. Especially you. We told you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, dude, what uh, kind of shout out your your social medias for anybody who, who doesn't follow you. And by the sounds of it, um, Scales and Tails gets listened to very regular, regularly in the in the New England area. So I'm sure, I mean, I posted that story and, and kind of tagged you in it. And I have uh, a, a lot of people who, who have said, Oh my, you know, this gentleman right here said about time you had him on. He's a big influence here in the Northeast for big bait fishing. Looking forward to this one, a bunch of people saying, I, I love watching his videos, you know, stuff like that. So I, I, 
I mean, you, you know that people enjoy this stuff, but I think people are going to really enjoy this, this hour and a half episode and, and be really intrigued with, with what you have to say, because it is a different format. You know, you're not, you're not talking to the camera. I'm, I'm, you know, shooting questions at you and you're, you're giving me your honest opinion or outlook on them. So I think, I think it's going to be a cool thing for people to listen to and kind of hear how you got into it and hear what you have to say about some of the stuff we talked about. Yeah, I love it. And it's, it's, I say this when people give me these, these comments and they're like, dude, you need to like, it, this is going to just, I don't have a lot of time, but whenever I engage like this, I'm like, I have to make time because I desperately want to make videos. I'm always recording. I have terabytes of video, both fishing and on products. Like I'm still doing it all. And I just, when it comes to the editing, it just stops. So yeah. having like this conversation and whatever aftermath there is from people commenting will probably get my uh my ass in gear to get some videos uploaded so uh hopefully i can do that for whoever's interested hell yeah man well what's the instagram and the youtube channel for people who don't follow you already yeah the youtube uh channel is keeping it real fishing so it's just uh you know play on words r-e-e-l and um actually you know i haven't looked at in so I don't look at my actual. I think the YouTube one is I N or is it I N G? Uh, it's keep. All right, I'm looking at it. Keeping with just an uh, I N. So K E E P I N. It real R E E L fishing, and the uh, Instagram. A little late to Instagram, so my uh, <laughs> ideal name got taken. Very similar. We just got a couple dots in there, so it's keeping it uh, period, real period fishing. Perfect. And as always, I'll put, uh, I'll put all your, <clears throat> excuse me, my gosh, I'll put your, uh, YouTube and, and Instagram in the show notes. So anybody who doesn't follow you or, you know, they've been hearing us blab and they're like, Oh, this Carl guy must, must know what he's doing. want to go check out a video. They can, they can go press the link and, and watch the video. I will say if you guys are going to watch any video, watch the newest one. Cause you catch a really good small mouth on, what I was even considering a, a pretty big bait for smallmouth, and I, I catch big smallmouth. That video, and then the um, the fifty six minute video of you catching your PB. That video, there's so much that went into it. There was so much information, and you just you just break down the whole scenario and why you're doing everything. You know why you're fishing this area, what you're fishing it with. You know what what you're seeing the fish do, react to. It uh, it's it's a crazy video, and and he if. You know, if you just want to see a big fish caught, you have the timestamp in there. I think off the top of my head, it's like 35 minutes in. You, you catch this, well, you know, uh, a meal shy of an eight pounder. You said you weighed it on two scales, and it's I just did, heartbreaking yeah. that it was 715. But for for the for the uh, ease easement of entertainment, we'll just say you're you're 715 eight pounder in there. 35 minutes, and you guys can watch that. But, but like I said, um, Carl's stuff is just it's, it's a document, dude. That's what it is. It's like a docu-series of you and, and why you're doing all this stuff. It's like you have your own little film crew that's going around following you and you're just talking to the camera and telling them what you know and why you're doing it. Yeah, man. And if I could just, I just want to mention one guy, cause you asked like early on, like why I got into it and I was watching videos, but through social media, this guy commented on one of my earliest videos and he's since become a, a good friend. I just want to shout him out, man. He'll never expect this. Uh, on social media or on YouTube, you can see his videos. He's got some stuff going way back. It's Toad Slayer 72. And this guy's name is Brian Clark. And if I if he never commented and if he didn't get in my ear, I don't know if I would have done any of this. Because he's a New York guy. Okay. And he had caught, I think it was a nine-four. Holy crap. Multiple eights. 
a couple sevens. Now he, but in this, and he also enlightened me to guys in the Northeast have been doing this in small numbers, but on the low for a while. He was huh. at this for a while before I even started. Um, but he was the one that got in my ear and no Brian Clark, no keeping it real. Dang, man. That's awesome. Little, uh, little homage right there. It's like yeah. kind of the author's notes at the end of the book. <laughs> yeah. Heck yeah, man. But as always, I want to thank Carl for coming on. I'll put all this stuff so you guys can go follow him if you don't already. While you're on the Instagram following him, if you're not already, make sure you follow the podcast, Scales and Tales underscore media. When you guys are hearing this episode, um, the magazines will be ordered. So if you had, didn't pre-order your zine, maybe I'll have a couple loaded up on the site when I get them. And if you pre-order, they'll be coming in within the next week or two. Um, other than that, zines, stickers, I don't know whatever. I want to thank Carl for coming on. I, I reached out to him. Like I said, he was somebody that I had always watched getting into it and kind of still continued to watch and stumble upon him on Facebook and Instagram and stuff. So it, it's cool to talk to the guys who, you know, were the pioneers for you. They kind of, they kind of walked so you could run. So thank you, Carl, for, for probably randomly looking at your Instagram messages one day and who the, who the hell is the scales and tails media guy. And what's, what's he messaging me for? Another great analogy. Yeah. <laughs> Walk before you run. Oh, man, Beautiful at that, man. You, you, The stuff that you spitball out, it's so good. Uh, yeah, yeah, Adrian, thanks so much for having me. It's a, a great conversation and uh, best of luck with the uh, magazine, the podcast and everything else. Yes. Thank you, man. After after 112 episodes, you kind of pick up uh, quick catchphrases to say for, for situations. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it yeah. works, man. Plug it, plug them in and it works. But I want to thank Carl for coming on. I want to thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoy this episode and I'll talk to you guys next time. See you guys.